our ancestors for thousands of years, any time that they were confronted with stress, it was always accompanied by fast and hard breathing. Mm. So fast and hard breathing is synonymous with stress. And when our ancestors were nice and relaxed, they were out in the open, they were eating natural foods, their breathing would have been very calm. And of course, the brain is monitoring our breathing. And this has been known just since 2017 by Stanford Medical School that there is a structure in the brain that's spying on your breath. And if you breathe fast and shallow and hard, this structure will relay signals of agitation to the rest of the brain, including waking you from sleep because uh -huh. you're going into that sympathetic drive. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey, there's Michelle and welcome back to the show. Today we are talking about breathing, specifically the importance of nasal breathing. Now, if you tuned into the interview I did with James Nestor, the New York Times bestselling author and journalist, he wrote a book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, and I will link that interview in the show notes because it was so fascinating. James did a deep dive, spent three years researching the importance of nasal breathing. Well, one of the people that he mentioned during that interview was a gentleman named Patrick McCune, who is from Galway, Ireland, and teaches the Buteco method of breathing, a method that I had never heard about prior to interviewing James. And he's written numerous books, including his most recent book called The Breathing Cure. So Patrick is on to talk about the work he does and to help us understand how not breathing correctly can impact our health, our mental health, our ability to sleep well, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Patrick today. I will have detailed show notes with a link to his website and the resources that he mentions, as well as the interview with James. And before we dive in, this is a reminder that this is for informational purposes only. It is not medical advice. It is not intended to be medical advice. And anything that you do for your own health and well-being should be run by your trusted healthcare provider. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back. Joining us today is Patrick McCune, who's an international breathing expert and author based in Galway, Ireland. He studied at Trinity College before completing clinical training in Russia. Patrick is the creator and master instructor of the Oxygen Advantage Technique. He is founder and clinical director of Buteco Clinic International. He works as breathing advisor to Laird Hamilton's XPT and is a fellow of the Royal Society of Bi Biology. His research papers appear in international medical journals and is published by leading 
book publishers. And Patrick, you are the author of many books. Today, we're talking about The Breathing Cure, Patrick's newest book, which is a deep dive into the science of breathing. It explores functional breathing for a wide range of health conditions and breathing exercises suitable for adults, children, and teens. These unique exercises improve quality of life with better sleep, health, and performance. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks very much, Michelle. Well, you've been at this since 2002, and I find that many people end up on a journey for their life's path, oftentimes by a personal circumstance, their own challenges that they're looking to solve in the world. And then it makes such a profound impact in their life that it becomes their life's work. And that, in fact, is your situation, mm. right, Patrick? Yeah, I think, well, it's, that's definitely the case. And, you know, I suppose I'd have never have embarked on breathing because this is not something that would have any emphasis on in terms of, you know, different industries. Right. Like we go to school, we go to high school, we go to university and, you know, we're trained in very conventional thinking. Yeah. And breathing isn't taught, you know, and the healthcare industry up until the last few years didn't really put much of an emphasis on breathing. Certainly the medical industry didn't, the dental industry didn't. Now in saying that, Michelle, there were some wonderful dentists and doctors um, and that we have on our team that knew and did definitely advocate this. But yeah, I came across this totally by accident. Mm -hmm. If somebody was to tell me when I was 20 years of age, if somebody was to tell me that you were going to work with breathing, I would say they must have been on drugs or something if they were to say that to me. Um, it would have been so far removed. I studied, I was in the corporate world mm. and it was primarily because of, you know, it was a number of things, years of poor breathing patterns, but years of having a racing mind mm. and a perfectionist type A personality who drove himself to incessant thinking and couldn't switch off and sleep disorder, breathing and fatigue. And no, I wasn't a wreck. I was coping fine, but um, it wasn't without its, you know, without its stresses, put it that way. But most certainly, yeah, I came across breathing in 1998. I applied it for my own health. It really made a big difference. It actually, it changed my life. Yeah, it's incredible because it seems like somehow certain things become popular at certain times. And now mm -hmm. you're hearing about breathing. Whereas yes. when you were when you were embarked on this journey, no one was really talking about breathing other than in very small circles within different places where people were becoming more aware of the importance. Now yeah. we all have to breathe to live. So it's so funny that we don't really think about it. But it wasn't really, honestly, for me until I had James Nestor on the show with his book, The New Science of a Lost Art on Breath. And uh, he talked about you and I started researching you and I was like, wow, Patrick is really a pioneer in this area. And he's really been at this before it's become mainstream and popular and cool to talk about breath. And mm. I became aware of Wim Hof in the last year. And I'm like, what is this focus on breathing? And um, I talked to you before the mics went on about how I wore a back brace. And so I really couldn't take a breath in for six years because I had to wear a brace for scoliosis. And when you do that, you have to sleep in it and it constricts you so tight 
that you can never take a full breath in and um, breathing impacts everything. And what I've learned from reading more of your work through the Buteco method, which I'd actually, I'd, let's mm-hmm. go get into there first. So take us in before I get too deep into, you know, what it can cure. Uh, you had childhood asthma. Yes. And do you still have it as an adult? I have very mild symptoms from every now and again, like genetically it's going to be there. Yeah. Um, if I talk a lot, you know, sometimes I can feel some chest tightness. Yeah. Um, very, very seldom. Like when I talk about asthma, when I was a teenager into my early twenties, I was hospitalized with it. Um, so it was, it was really, really different. And I had terrible sleep disorder breathing with that. And when I was in university, I was told I was stopping breathing during sleep. But I didn't know what, what it was at the time. All I knew that was that my concentration in high school and university was very poor and when I was in primary school, that was up to the age of eight, age 11. I was yeah. very bright. I was top, pretty much top the class or, you know, up there with all of the other top performing kids. When I went to secondary school, I went from the top of the class down to the bottom of the class. And I knew it wasn't linked. Something was just not right. I knew mm-hmm. it wasn't linked with my intelligence because how can you have a child who's very intelligent in their younger years? Where does it all go when they hit? 13 and 14. It's true. Um, but wasn't, what wasn't diagnosed with my, was my sleep. And wow. I really feel for the kids because 25 to 50% of studied children are persistently mouth breathing. Nobody's putting any attention with, on this except for, you know, there are some wonderful doctors and dentists and myofunctional therapy is a tremendous tool as well. Um, that's who I, I give a lot of breathing courses with in the United States. And they're reaching out, but it just hasn't got mainstream. And I'll say about James Nestor's book, he has done more on for breathing in the last 20 years than anybody. He has really, really put it out there. You know, it's been wonderful. His book mm. has raised awareness for everybody. Yeah. Um, because I suppose we work in the field and, you know, it's, we, we'll have our own biases and maybe in our own passion of it, we might be, people might necessarily take us as credible. Um, now I'm hoping they do. And that's part of the reason that we put out the books and, Luckily enough, I've had some papers now and some articles published in peer-reviewed journals. Yeah. Um, and the most recent one two weeks ago for sleep apnea, you know, oh. and, you know, breathing for sleep apnea. And you think of the population, even say, for example, people aged between 30 and, 40, 30 and 50 years of age, it's 26% of men. And from 50 to 70 years of age, it's 43% of men. Wow. For females, it's 9% up to the age of 50. But once the female goes through menopause, postmenopausal women, it increases 300%. So there's really a need for this in three major disciplines of health. Mm-hmm. And that's respiratory. And the second one would be sleep. And the third one then is mental health. And you know, it's it's really, you know, I've even recently I had a podcast with uh, two doctors afternoon tea with docs or a group, group of doctors in the United Kingdom and mm. there was a psychologist and a psychiatrist actually. And she was telling us stories of her patients. Some of her patients, when she brought in breathing techniques, similar to what we're doing as well, that she was able to take the patients off medication. Wow. You know, like it's a tremendous wow. tool here, as opposed to just the first, the first thing is, you know, too much. The emphasis is on, 
the the person, the, the you know, the, not just the primary mode of treatment, but the only mode of treatment is pharmaceutical intervention. Yeah, that's not really giving people control. Yeah. Well, you as a child were able to get off your medications as an adult, isn't that true? I mean, into my early tw- into my mid twenties. Okay. My early twenties, I was still on medication. Would have been about my mid twenties. In one week from practicing the Buteyko method, my symptoms reduced by 50%. Wow. And I was probably close to 20 years having asthma at that point. Wow. So I think I want people to understand this. So basically, from what I read, you read an article in a paper in Ireland. You're based in Ireland. Yeah. And you were in your 20s and a light bulb went off. You're like, what's this about? So can you tell us what happened to you and so how you made that transition within just a week of being, you know, struggling mm. and finding this tool. Yeah, I read the newspaper article. It said two things. It, it said that you have to breathe in and out through your nose. And I was doing neither of those because when you have asthma, you, you're, it's very common that you have nasal congestion. You know, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. And I was, it also said to breathe light. In other words, your breathing should be subtle. And my breathing was not subtle. And people always told I had a head cold. You could always hear me breathing. If I was at a dinner table, um, you know, your nose is stuffed up. So you're trying to eat and breathe through your mouth at the same time. Yeah. Of course, your, your guests aren't too comfortable with that, but they don't seem to think that the child can't breathe through the nose. You know, so they have to breathe, both, both eat and breathe through the mouth at the same time. So it just resonated with me. And maybe the time was right. Maybe I was sick of my symptoms. Yeah. You know, something... And I just felt intuitively as well, there was something just not quite right with what was going on. Um, So I went back into TCD. That was the university that I was at. Now Mm -hmm. I was, I had left it, but I still had access to the library. And I was able to go in on the internet and look for the exercise. And I got some of the exercises. They were free at the time, back in 1998, in the infancy of the internet. Wow. And one exercise was a description of how to decongest a nose. And it simply was... Take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Yeah. And gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath until you feel a relatively strong air hunger. Then let go and breathe in through your nose. Breathe normally for about a minute. Do it again. Repeat it six times. And I was able to breathe through my nose. Wait a second. That really cleared your nose? Just Yeah. Like- yeah, yeah. This is not new. Like this has been known since 1923 that if you hold your breath, you decongest your nose even with a head cold. Now, if you have poor breathing, it will only give you temporary relief. Yeah. But if you continue breathing through your nose, your nose gets better and better and better. And is that um, what happened for you, Patrick? Is yeah, that, that was exactly what happened. And here's the ironic thing, Michelle. I had an operation on my nose in 1994, but the, nobody told me. Just The operation was a success. You know, by what my was nose, it for? What was it to do? Turbulent reduction surgery and also okay. correction of a deviated septum. But even my, my nose is still all over the place. It was to but help was, you breathe. It was to help you breathe. It was to help me breathe, but nobody told me to breathe through it. So the, <sighs> the obstruction was treated, but the behavior wasn't changed. And the same goes on today. And, you know, I was invited to give a talk with an ear, nose, throat doctor, Dr. Carlos O'Connor, who's a wonderful man. He's, he's an ENT from Spain. Okay. And, you know, there's very few ENTs that not only do they understand about the importance of treating the obstruction, they mm-hmm. also understand about changing the behavior. 
And I was giving the talk and I explained to the 150 ear, nose and throat doctors, you do wonderful work in treating the nose. Yes. But are you changing the behavior? And that's the key. And with children as well. You know, so that exercise. And then that night I taped up my mouth. I used a micropore tape, which I was able to buy from a drugstore chemist. And I used breed right strips across my nose to keep my nose open just in case it got too stuffy. And uh, first morning, I was still kind of getting used to it. I, didn't, I don't remember feeling a major <laughs> difference the first morning. Yeah. But I did it again the second night. But I kept on breathing through my nose continuously. And uh, the second night I woke up, and I woke up feeling an, absolutely alert. And I suppose it was an alertness that most people wake up to. But I or maybe didn't. not, or maybe not based on your stats. Yeah, well, that's true as well. But and yeah. people ask me, well, what does it feel like when you wake up alert? You you can read a book, a complex, and even if it was quite technical, you can yes. hold your attention on that. That's what focus and alertness is, as opposed to be just before I'd be just looking at the page, but none of my attention was there. You couldn't you know? focus. You couldn't focus you before. Focus. Yeah, and I think wow. you know, just, like. Can we go through life without focus and concentration? No. I'd say it's the most important tool that any of us, you know, we spend whatever amount of years in education. Yeah. And nobody teaches us how to focus. It's demanded that we focus. So I'm starting a new book. And because the reason I'm being is because I think we're, we're, you know, education is being forced down kids' throats. Yeah. And it's, you know what, like it's beneficial. Of course, there's a role for it. I'm not saying don't get educated. (laughs) What I'm saying is, how on earth can you expect a child to do well academically if they have poor sleep, if they have poor breathing, and if they can't focus? Let's teach these kids how to focus and how to concentrate. And, you know, it's getting worse, of course, with social media, you know, because it is really training the brain to be distracted. Yes. And that wonderful thing about able to bring a quietness to the mind, to hold your attention on what you want to hold it upon. What a wonderful tool. Why aren't our teachers teaching this? Yeah. You know, sometimes that amazes me, you know, just why has society missed it? And maybe because it's so simple. They missed two things. One is breathing yes. and the other is about thinking. And it's not about doing a PhD on it, but it's about the experience of focusing on the breath and changing breathing patterns and also helping to bring a quietness to the mind because a racing mind is endemic. And if you have a racing mind, we're not happy. Not at all. But Patrick, explain, because people are going to be hearing this and they're going to go, well, this sounds really interesting, but I need to understand more. So you're basically saying that nasal breathing is essential that we're, if you're breathing through your mouth, it's impacting your ability to focus and concentrate and contributes more. You know, you, if you've got that stuffy nose, you know, it's potentially leading to not sleeping well or mm-hmm. there's sleep apnea issues. And then you wake up unfocused and then it becomes a, just a terrible cycle. And maybe it even leads to, because your book covers so many different areas. It covers um, depression, sleep apnea, um, even COVID. Um mm. Women's allergies, breathing. right? Diabetes, I mean, diabetes, epilepsy. epilepsy. I mean, so mm. how is it that something that we should innately know how to do? Because I, I remember watching my daughter when she was a baby and the diaphragm would expand. She looked so beautiful and so comfortable when she would sleep. You know, it just, 
I was like, wow, that's a really natural way. And I took, I was in musical theater as a kid and I took voice lessons. I can't sing. I will not sing for anybody (laughs) Um, as an adult, but I know that breathing was a core piece of that. How you breathe, how you breathe impacted how much air you could get, which impacted how you could get the notes out and create sound. I mean, it's so profound yet it's, how is it that we move away from that? Because I even read something that you put out that said most mammals, other than four mammals, mm. all breathe through their nose. So all like the mammal world knows, <laughs> including yeah. human humans. So what happens to us? Why are we not breathing right? Why aren't we breathing through our nose? Why do we need to relearn this? It's very difficult to know the precise reasons. Yeah. Michelle, it's there's so many factors there. Yeah. I think there's a few of them. I think food definitely played a role. Yeah. We're we're eating food that's already processed and probably, you know, high in calories and not high enough in nutrition. Um and could be leading and creating nasal congestion. Inflammation then? Would that be inflammation, Patrick? Yeah, it's, it could yeah. be because once the nose is stuffy, if you if the nose is stuffy and you feel that you're not getting enough air through it you're not going to breathe through the nose. Yeah. No child or adult, if they feel nasal congestion, they're not going to, if you know, if they feel air hunger, they're not going to continue breathing through their nose. Um, but other factors would be breastfeeding is, is very important. And it's, it's not just about nutrition, but it's about manipulation of the muscles of the face necessary mm. for craniofacial development, you know, because we need good muscle tone. And if the baby is tongue tie, you know, the, the baby isn't feed from the isn't able to feed from the mother. The baby is chomping on the mother. The mother is getting sore. The baby isn't thriving. Yeah. And a bottle is introduced. And you know, the bottle, the bottle is just is not a substitute for the breast. So that's another aspect of it. You know, our, our houses might be just getting too too insulated, too overheated. There's a ch- change in the shape of the face that's happening very, very quickly. And it was first. Well, it was first documented, I think, by Dr. Weston Price back in the 1930s. Yeah. And he spoke about third generation children who had access to, was it no, first generation, only one generation children access to sugar, that the, the shape of the jaw started to change. Wow. In Dr. one generation. John yeah, one generation. Dr. Yeah. John Mew wrote about it in his book, Bioblock, going back, God, I don't know now, it's a long time since I've read it, but... Um, he spoke about the skulls that were unearthed from middle-class graves that were buried maybe about 400 years ago in the United Kingdom. And these skulls had already craniofacial abnormalities. So the human face is becoming narrower. Yeah. The mouth is becoming smaller. There's not enough room for the tongue. And the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. So if the mouth has become smaller, the width of the mouth is smaller. But what happens is that the palate becomes higher. Because the the mouth is becoming narrower, the palate has nowhere to go but up into the nasal cavity. So then it's infringing on the nasal cavity, so it's difficult to breathe through the nose. So it's a vicious circle that the child or adult continues mouth breathing. And then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But, you know, it's, it's like this. What does the mouth do in terms of breathing? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. It's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, for an emergency, it's there. It's there, <laughs> you know, for an emergency. Yeah. It doesn't filter the air, doesn't warm the incoming air, doesn't moisten the incoming air, doesn't regulate volume, doesn't harness nasal nitric oxide. Mouth breathing is activating the upper chest, which is more fight or flight. Yeah. 
Mouth breathing is reducing lung volume. So your throat is more likely to collapse during sleep. You've got increased risk of sleep apnea. Mouth breathing reduces oxygen uptake in the blood. And the benefit of mouth the benefit of nose breathing, say during physical exercise, is that you have increased carbon dioxide in the blood. And people think that bring in as much oxygen as you can and get rid of as much carbon dioxide as you can. Like how many studios do you hear? Like, do you do yoga, by the way? Or do you um, do? N- not really. No, no I okay, like it, but I, no. Because so people often kind of say that I'm not saying the right thing, but um, it's my experience of listening to people doing yoga with a lot of the breathing exercises that there is often an emphasis on breathing more air. And when I say that, yoga teachers usually say I'm incorrect, but so that's why I just asked you. Yeah, no, um, no. But if you're in a studio or if any of your listeners are doing yoga, I think you're much better off. Don't hear your breathing while you're doing yoga, because if you hear your breathing, it may be a sign that you're deliberately breathing more air than what you need. Yeah. And this gets rid of a gas called carbon dioxide from the blood because you blow it out through your lungs. And when you lose carbon dioxide, your blood vessels constrict. So my hands were always cold, you know. Me too. They still are. They're cold right now. (laughs) My feet were cold. Yeah, my feet are cold right now with slippers on. (laughs) This could be a wonderful thing then for you to practice later on, whatever. Yeah. Focus on the airflow coming in and out of your nose and gently start breathing less air and breathe less air to the point of air hunger. Air hunger signifies that carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in your blood, blood vessels start to dilate. So, you know, is, is it connected to circulation? So what yeah, can you totally. just break that? It is. Okay. So yeah. I, I'm going to just have this. I'm going to just to make it really uh, easy for other people to understand because it's so simple, but yet it's not. So basically what I'm hearing you say is we need to breathe through our nose because mm. it filters the air. The nose knows how to, has all these mechanisms built in naturally to protect us and to yes. get oxygen moving through our body in the way that it was intended to do. When we mm. do mouth breathing, it creates more anxiety because we're doing shallow fight or flight kind of breathing, whether we're conscious of that or not. Yeah. It's Look down not, at your chest, yeah. Michelle. Yeah. <clears throat> Look down at your chest. Take a breath through your mouth. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah, so people know, should do we, that while they're listening. Look down. I think and it's take the only way to see it because yeah, and this this mouth breathing is fast breathing as well. So fast breathing and upper chest breathing is synonymous with stress. Yeah, and I would say that mouth breathers are in a greater sympathetic tone, and they've got poorer sleep. And any of the, you know, your listeners waking up with a dry mouth in the morning, they can have disrupted sleep. They can have very light sleep. They may be getting up to go to the bathroom during the night. They don't just get that deep, deep sleep. But when it comes to the gas carbon dioxide, nose breathing, of course, is absolutely goes without saying the yeah. only way to breathe both in and out through the nose. You know, there's no horse out in the field breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, nor is there any horses out there hyperventilating because they think it's good to be taking these big breaths. You know, we never see any animal deliberately taking more air because of they think it's, it's wonderful. Um, I think, you know, we have to look at evolution. If it was so good to breathe in through our nose and out through the mouth, you know, I think evolution would have equipped us that way. But the nose is both for breathing in and out because on the exhale breath, it captures the moisture and heat 
So it recovers that heat and moisture. Hmm. So you can think of the, the energy expended by the body, warming and moistening that air as it comes into the lungs. Yes. And then on the exhale breath, the nose is trapping and recovering the heat and moisture. Yeah. So 42% greater water loss when you breathe out through the mouth. You're more dehydrated. Like wow. People in old folks' homes, you know, as we get a bit older, I think it's common enough as people get older that they do start mouth breathing. You know, during rest, they may be feeling labored breathing and they're just kind of panting. Yes. They're becoming dehydrated and dehydration is a huge impact, you wow. know, in an old folks home. But and here's the power of the breath. Even if we just look at the biochemistry, you can open up your airways literally by improving the biochemistry of your breathing. You can open up your blood circulation. You can have that. You can increase oxygen delivery to the body, but you can also activate the body's relaxation response. And it has a calming effect on the central nervous system because if you if we breathe hard, like that information, if the person is breathing fast and hard, yeah. that information is being fed from the body back to the brain. The brain is interpreting it as the body is in an unsafe environment. Yeah, it reacts. You know, our ancestors, for thousands of years, any time that they were confronted with stress, it was always accompanied by fast and hard breathing. Mm. So fast and hard breathing is synonymous with stress. And when our ancestors were nice and relaxed, they were out in the open, they were eating natural foods, their breathing would have been very calm. And of course, the brain is monitoring our breathing. And this has been known just since 2017 by Stanford Medical School, that there is a structure in the brain that's spying on your breath. And if you breathe fast and shallow and hard, this structure will relay signals of agitation to the rest of the brain, including waking you from sleep because wow. you're going into that sympathetic drive. And if you breathe light and slow, the communication from the body back to the brain is that everything is okay because the brain is interpreting it, that the body is in a safe environment because breathing is light and slow. Now, coming back to the 75% of people with anxiety with breathing pattern disorders, very much many of them will be breathing fast and shallow and it's feeding into their symptoms continuously. And we need to shed some light on that. Yeah, well, this is definitely doing that. Um, I'd like to ask some specific questions and then maybe you could show us just a couple of techniques. You already showed us one, which is to how to unclog sure. the nose, but let's talk about something that I was a little surprised to learn about when I was on the, so you have two websites and we'll give those yes. at the end, but one's with, through the Buteco method and one is the oxygen yeah. advantage because you work with elite athletes and military operations. I mean, yeah. Olympic uh, you know, people who are training really where breath is so important, but then the Buteco helps moms, children, yes. uh, men, you know, just everyday people who have the sleep apnea and the anxiety yeah. and the other issues. So let me just understand how is it through the research that Buteco did and that you've continued that breath impacts things like you've talked about diabetes. And obviously I get asthma because that deals with breath, but how is it that it helps? Can you just talk about, let's start with diabetes. I was very curious to see a link between breath and, 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 and that, yes, that, yeah. that was a little confusing to me. I was curious. Yeah. yeah. With diabetes, for example, it can be, well, it can be very normal that the individual with diabetes 
is in more of a sympathetic drive. In other words, their body is in that state of stress. Mm. They have reduced sensitivity of baroreceptors, which are pressure receptors in the major blood vessels. So autonomically, their body is in a state of stress, and this will feed into their symptoms. Now, it is also common for people with diabetes to have poor respiratory health and to have sleep problems. Uh. So it goes hand in hand. This was by accident. Um, I got an email from a guy in the United States. His name is Nick Heat. And uh, Nick Heat is a diabetic since he was 10 years of age or 12 years of age. So type 1 diabetes versus type, type 2. Okay. Correct. Mm-hmm. Type 1. And he, you know, he's, he's a fairly avid health, you know, he's very much into his health. Um, and he was doing whatever he could. He was doing eating good food and he was doing plenty of physical exercise, et cetera. And then he, 2015, he came across the book, The Oxygen Advantage. And he, that, whatever week, he taped his mouth shut to breathe through his nose. And he woke up the following morning. And he, he remembers emailing his wife and saying, either I'm crazy or this is the best thing ever, that something had already happened. Then he started, he's a PhD in meteorology. He's a NASA trained scientist. Mm. So this guy is, you know, this guy's a bright spark. He was going through the research and plenty of papers have been published, even going back to 2000, showing that if you can improve the sensitivity of the baroreceptors, if you can increase heart rate variability, mm. if you do slow breathing, and of course, nose breathing is part of that, um, that it can improve and help with your diabetes. So his diabetic control is the best it ever was, but with 20% less insulin. And, you know, so you you hear a story like that and then you say, okay, I wonder, is it true? And then Nick did set up a website because he wants to get the information out there as well. Mm. His website is called the breathing diabetic, either.org or.com. I'll find it and link it. Yeah. Included. He's included. Hey, Nick, H-E-A-T-H. Um, you know, and this is by chance. This is how I find out this information. You know, like a couple of females then send me information saying when my hot flashes or hot flushes, depending on what country, have yeah. significantly reduced. And we're saying, okay, is there a connection there? I don't always know. And that's, we have to start digging then. And we don't even know if the science is there. But generally it is there. And even in women's breathing, Michelle, women's breathing is fundamentally different to men's breathing. And how women's is that? How is that? How, how? The change in hormones. Our home hormones. That's why, okay, we breathe differently. So between days 10 to days 22, so post-ovulation, uh, mid-luteal phase, there's an increase in progesterone, and that can cause carbon dioxide levels to drop by as much as 25%. And so the, the breathing for the female is naturally going to become faster and harder. And this can increase pain. It lowers pain thresholds. It increases pain perception. It can contributes to fatigue, anxiety, and panic. So a lot of the symptoms of PMS are directly attributable to hyperventilation. Wow. And this has been written about since 1905. You know, but that's like earlier on, I said that you, there's, there's documentation that you can decongest your nose by simply holding your breath since 1923. And I referenced those papers in the books. It hasn't got into mainstream. It's no. just so strange, you know? Like, I wrote an article with two d- medical doctors there. Just It was published three weeks ago. It's in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. It's looking at the application of breathing from multidimensional for the treatment of obstructive sleep apnea. 
people are not going to find it. It's stuck in buried in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. Yes, it's available online. You can find yeah. it on PubMed. But that is the problem, that the information that is published in the journals is just not finding a way to get out into the public domain. With children, I really find it's terrible. I think it's an absolute fiasco that it's been documented that children since 1909, mouth-breathing children develop more likely to develop crooked teeth, jaws that are set back, academic issues, ADHD, you know, um, um, what else? Changes in the structure of the face. And these kids will be being accused of not being attentive in school. They have poor dental health. You know, these kids can't thrive. This is not new information. Again, that's been around for 111 years. So, you know, that's why I suppose the books, I started writing the first book in 2003. Because I just Does that close your mouth. <laughs> yeah, well, that was 2004. Okay. <laughs> you know, that book has had a print run pretty much every year since then. Yeah. Um, which is kind of amazing. It's just mm -hmm. one of those books that is just, you know, you write it 16 years ago, 17 years ago. You'd never think that it's going to be. And it's in the top 10 best selling books on asthma generally. Now, I don't know how it is on Amazon now. If you yeah. go in and put in asthma top selling books, yeah. you know, but it's generally popular. Um, but the reason that I wrote those books was because this is the only way that I'm going to get the information into the, the public domain because people can buy a book for maybe 11 or 12 or $15. And in that, even if they get a couple of nuggets of information, $15, you know, isn't it? it's, it's a very cost-effective way Could of be life-changing for someone yeah, for sure. Totally. Well, I want to clarify something too, because you've mentioned twice now taping your mouth. Now I know you have something yes. called myotape. And your tape yes. actually, just so people don't have a visual of like, you know, duct tape or something yes, like extreme, yes. um, your tape is called myotape. It goes around the mouth and you can actually open your mouth. You can breathe through your mouth, which I know you're saying, yes. don't do that, but you can. It's yeah. to trigger the body to remind, kind of train the, yes. the, the, you know, the habitual habit of breathing through your mouth to close it so that you're like, oh, right, no, I'm practicing nasal breathing now. Yes, um, I just yeah. wanted to clarify that. Uh, I was yeah. thinking about that. But let's talk about sleep apnea because so many people do struggle with that. Mm. So you mentioned if you wake up with dry mouth, um, how else do you know? Because I'm fairly certain that I breathe through my nose all day long. And I think people, if you're listening, you're awake, you're probably aware maybe, oh yeah, I know I do it when I, I mouth breathe when I exercise, but otherwise I'm not, I'm breathing through my nose. But when we're sleeping, we don't really know what we're doing. I happen to know for myself if I, and it's only when I have a cold, like if I'm stuffy and I can't mm. breathe through my nose, I get anxious. So it's interesting. So I must really like breathing through my nose. But I also know that I've woken up in the middle of the night gasping for air. That doesn't happen often, but every once in a while I'll wake up and I'm like, like I've stopped breathing or something. So maybe I am breathing through my mouth. I mean, I don't really know. How, how do we know? Like, what can we do to, to yeah. track that? Yeah. Obstructive sleep apnea, the only way to diagnose it would be to do a sleep study. And mm. basically it's polysomnography and uh, the individual is checked if they're having apneic episodes meaning that they stop breathing if it's obstructive because of collapse of the upper airway during sleep if it lasts for 10 10 seconds yeah and also monitoring their blood oxygen desaturation now what often happens is that a sleeping partner notices it yeah 
So typically it's maybe the man, well, it's more commonly is the man. The man is snoring and yeah. then there's total silence. And then 15, 20 or even half a minute or a minute later, he resumes breathing with really heavy breathing. Yeah. And then he's snoring again and then there's total silence. And that would indicate that it's likely, you know, yeah. but of course only a sleep study can prove it that there's obstructive event there. Our breathing should be fairly silent during sleep. Now we use the taping because 50% of the adult population persistently mouth breathe during sleep. And it is something that happens more as we get older. Yeah. And there's no question about it that mouth breathing aggravates and increases sleep apnea. It significantly increases the apnea hypopnea index. It contributes to reduced blood oxygen saturation for children. Yeah. Mouth breathing and sleep disorder breathing is associated with poor cognitive development. Mm. That children, for example, 11,000 children in Strat Stratford-upon-Avon, and it was published in the journal Pediatrics in 2012. These kids, if it wasn't treated by age five, they had a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight, 40% increased risk because of the academic development. That's a paper by Karen Bonock, B-O-N, UCK, and uh, she's an American researcher. I'm not sure why they chose Stratford-upon-Avon. It's in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, but, you know, parents should be aware of this. You know, we should never hear our child breathing. So a but few what things. If they are. Yeah. What if they are, Patrick? Because people are going to go, actually, I have heard my kid or, uh, you know, I nursed my daughter for two years, but there's times that I've, you know, but it's when it's allergy season, you know, yeah. you know, which can also trigger wheezing and other things during the day. I mean, we might be closing the windows. You've talked about it's good to get fresh air. So it's like, it's hard to know what to do sometimes, yes, you know? Yeah. Our breathing exercises are free online for kids. Yeah. So if you just put in my name into YouTube, put in Patrick McKeown, children's breathing, you'll see seven or eight different breathing exercises. The, the, all of the exercises to decongest the nose are free. All of yeah. the breathing, everything. Um, so pretty much pretty much our entire children's class recorded it, put it online. It's out there for free. Thank so you. Is that on your Buteco website too? Or is that just yeah, on YouTube? Yeah, it's on Buteco as well. I think it's okay. on butecoclinic.com forward slash Buteco children. Okay, I'll link really. that. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, now children, of course, as well, part of the cause of sleep disorder breathing can be enlarged adenoids. And this is when the back of the nose can be inflamed or swollen. So the child is difficulty breathing through the nose. The child may have enlarged tonsils. Now, one aspect of this is looking at the development of the child's face in terms of their jaws. And I think it would be very important is to seek out a pediatric dentist who understands about development of the jaws. It's not just about straightening teeth, but it's really about the dentist to help I think dentists are in a tremendous position to identify the risk factors of sleep apnea, both in children and in parents or in adults. And it's more than this, Michelle. There was a paper published by Dr. Christian Giemann, who was one of the co-authors, looking at young infants who died with sudden infant death syndrome. All of these infants had high upper narrow palate. That mm. could have been addressed if it was identified. You know, they, they had all... The problem was that they had their they had such a high upper narrow palate that the roof of the mouth was so high, it 
it was reducing the space of the nose. So the child's difficulty breathing through it. Mm. The children died because of hypoxia. But see, the problem is this could have been addressed. You know, it, all it takes is 15 seconds. Open the child's mouth, look up into the, the roof of the mouth. How high is the palate? And there's various strategies, different healthcare professionals. They can have gloved hands. And they can show mom how to just gently put fingers into the roof of the child's mouth and exerting a gentle pressure, very light pressure for maybe 10 seconds or more, gently broadening the maxilla to make room in the nasal cavity. Are you but a fan of um, expanders then? The, the yes. You are. And is yes. it just for the top versus the bottom? Is it just the palate expanders? Went well, I think it, it can be both, you know, yeah. because we need to have plenty of room in the mouth for the tongue. And it's not just about palate expansion in wit. Wit is fine, but we need forward growth because we don't want the jaws to set back. My jaws are set back because of years of mouth breathing. So I have a compromised airway. You know, so if you look at a really good looking individual, they typically have really well developed jaws with forward growth of the jaws and a good airway. These people can thrive every way. You know, these people are going to be more alert. They're going to be calmer individuals. Mm. They sh they're likely to have better sleep. They're going to be better athletes. They're certainly going to be better in terms of calmness, mental health, sleep, and academic performance and athletic performance than a mouth breathing counterpart. And especially a mouth breathing counterpart like me, who has craniofacial abnormalities, you know, because, and this is happening so quickly. My parents had really broad facial structures. My parents didn't have overcrowding of teeth. Every single one of the siblings had overcrowding of teeth. Of so your this, siblings, of your siblings. Of every one of theirs. So, yes, oh, correct. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. And my child, for example, is born with tutogenesis. So she is not only just having a narrow palate, but she's missing teeth. Genetically. genetically. Ah. Yeah. And that affects 10 to 20% of the population. And that's a really high predictor of sleep apnea because we don't need small mouths. Because if you have a small mouth, where is the tongue going to go? But it's likely to encroach in the airway. And in terms of sleep apnea, I'd say to anybody, you know, look at getting your tongue resting in the roof of the mouth and getting your lips together, you're breathing in and out through your nose and practice breathing very light and slow and low. Light breathing, because when you breathe lightly during wakefulness, you will have lighter breathing during sleep. When you breathe slow during wakefulness, you will have slower breathing during sleep. And when you breathe low, you, with good amplitude of the diaphragm during wakefulness, you will have low breathing during sleep. You'll have increased lung volume and the throat is stiffer. So there's a significant difference between the risk of sleep apnea with mouth breathing where the tongue is encroaching the airway and breathing fast and shallow. So it's not just to say, go breathe through your mouth go breathe through your nose. We also need to improve functional breathing patterns. The LSD you talked about, light, yes. slow, slow and deep, 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 but not. <laughs> exactly. Not, exactly. Not, yeah. Definitely nose, not through your mouth. Nose, slow and low. Might what be do you call it? What do you say? Nose, slow and low. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is, I mean, if people want to learn more about this, Patrick, I'll, I'll link up, but we're, so we're, tell us where we can um, find more information. Cause like I said, so your book um, covers so many different areas of health 
um, where do we direct them? Because your book isn't coming out till February 15th, but this will air probably after that. So it'll mm. it'll be available. Yes, it will. We'll have copies of it actually arriving tomorrow. Um, we're going to start Congrats. shipping it out then. Yeah. That's it in Europe, but we're shipping out throughout the world. Um, yeah, as any of the websites, oxygenadvantage.com or butecoclinic.com. And we have social media channels as well that there's kind of posts put out there pretty much every day. And there's some videos on YouTube, especially for children. Yeah. Um, so different channels there again, Oxygen Advantage or Buteco Clinic. Great. I mean, this has been an education. I think just having awareness that breath is so vital to pretty much every aspect of your health and well-being and, you know, minor things that you can do, just the nose breathing to begin with, and then potentially, uh, you know, learning about what you can do at night or identifying whether you're having these issues and taking small steps. And, and like for you, it was an overnight, it was within a week when you saw the results. Mm. So this yes, has been yeah. great. Is there anything I didn't ask that you want to leave anyone listening with today? I think it's very important for people to become aware of their breathing, you know, even just to pay attention to it. Do you have your mouth open? Are you walking with your mouth open? Do you really need to breathe in and out through your mouth during physical exercise? You know, think that your mouth doesn't do anything in terms of your mouth doesn't do anything in terms of breathing. It's really all about the nose in terms of, and this is again, 1988, it was known that oxygen saturation, the PO2 in the blood increased with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. Um, anybody with asthma, does it make sense that if you have a respiratory condition that you persistently mouth breathe because you're taking that cold, dry, unfiltered air into your lungs that you contribute to airway narrowing? So sleep and asthma and mental health, athletic performance, um, and it, the list goes on. I'm not saying that this is a cure-all or anything like that, but most certainly there's applications in terms of breathing. Yeah, and there's yeah. very useful ones. Pay attention, start off with that. It's a good place to start. Yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. So I'll link everything up in the show notes. And your book, will it be on Amazon too? Or is it through? Um... It will, yes. Okay, It'll be great. on Amazon as well, yeah. So oh, I'm excellent. not sure when because we have an American publisher and yeah. they'll be putting it on Amazon. So at the moment, it's just through our websites. Okay, great. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for being committing to it for all these years when just the rest sure. of us are waking up. And it'll be interesting to see in 10 years you know, the next yeah. five to 10 years, the level of awareness and how med the medical community will have maybe caught up mm. to some degree and be implementing some of this. And it's exciting. Yeah. So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.